Okay, uh, welcome to HSV Progressive. This should turn into episode one of season three, 2024. And so I have some friends here to uh, talk about, let's say we'll talk about the environment in North Alabama. And, you know, it could be really environmental stuff, and I'm sure it will be, but it might evolve into political environment type stuff. Um, Aiden, you want to go first and please introduce sure. yourself? Um, my name is Aiden, and I am a fire practitioner. Uh, I have a degree in forestry, and I've been working with fire since 2017. And um, I'm really excited to talk to you today about fire and the ecology of northern Alabama. Good. And so by fire practitioners, not some weird woo-woo thing, (laughs) we're actually talking about someone who engages in uh, controlled burns for the sake of uh, restoring habitat, biodiversity, Mm -hmm. all that kind of wonderful stuff. Yeah. And, And in particular here in the state of Alabama. Yeah, my actual title is a firefighter, but I don't really like that title because... I don't really feel like I'm fighting fire a lot of the time. I'm more of a fire lover than a firefighter. So fire practitioner is a more, um, I feel like a more true representation of how I interact with fire and what what my job is. Um, and, uh, well, anyway, we'll get into all kinds of stuff. Let's let's go now to... to uh, um, Joe, hey, Joseph, <laughs> please, please introduce I'm Joseph yourself. Jenkins, and um, I'm a, I guess you can call me a conservation biologist. I work with endangered species all over the state of Alabama, um, kind of focusing on reptile and amphibian species or herp species for herpetology. Um, I also do some fire, uh, do some random political organizing stuff, and yeah, but that's kind of the focus of what I what I do for work is endangered species research. So the um, when when you uh, let's say harvest some wild animals, that's not part of your work. No, no. But so is it informed by huge, your work? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's a yeah. huge part of of my um, free time is hunting and fishing and and foraging. Just generally trying to live off of natural systems rather than um, the kind of corporate agricultural system that we're all very much tied to right now. Yep. Yep. Amen. Uh, Yum. Okay. (laughs) Anyway. Easy to do in Alabama. There's plenty of fish and critters. But since you said that, that gives me a reason to ask. If everybody in Alabama suddenly turned into foragers would Alabama be okay um it would matter how much they were foraging as far as like enough to totally feed ourselves yeah yeah so say hypothetically hypothetically um I don't know it'd be tough there people would have to eat a lot of acorns acorns yeah that's that's kind of okay I, yeah. can, I can think of worse things Although myself, I've never eaten an acorn, so maybe I don't yeah, know what I'm talking they take, about. They take a lot of work to process, but um, yeah, so it's it's like one of those things where but if immediately, we, if, we, if it happened overnight, there's and people just quit farming, um, 
it probably wouldn't go well because so much of our land is in agriculture and like pine plantations and stuff that just doesn't produce mm, much natural much forage yeah yeah foods but you know if over time we kind of converted our land back to food forests like native um, native fruit trees and stuff like that and then um, created more space for wildlife and more space for um, the foods that naturally would have been eaten here I think that eventually we'd get to the point where we produced enough of our own food from native plants because, because when, when the native americans were in alabama there were a lot of them right oh yeah yeah with down moundville and all that those were yeah. huge civilizations yeah among they? the biggest in the in, on the continent yeah okay yeah. well and alabama is like a huge biodiverse or it's supposed to be yeah yeah we're one of the epicenters for biodiversity yeah, it's amazing in it's north like, america and we don't have a water plan, but never mind. Yeah, okay. Yeah, that's a, um, <laughs> <laughs> there's a topic. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I believe you said, Aiden, that you wrote a little song about fi- uh, about doing firework. Yeah. So this this song was more written. A lot of my work's been out west. Uh huh. So I kind of started in fire with western firefighting, which is much more like kind of think of like the military industrial complex of firefighting oh, so it's yeah. like big airplanes oh, helicopters gosh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. all kinds of stuff and dumping of course, chemicals yeah and of course that. here yeah. in the south we use a lot of bulldozers so there's a lot of soil disruption entailed with our fire but we do more like ecological burning here in the south which is why i chose to work down here and do the kind of firework that i believe in but this song was more written in my uh kind of like <laughs> real firefighting days so it's uh yeah so it kind of speaks to the experience of being a firefighter and i'd love to play it for you yay cool okay and, and joe you're gonna play harmonica with her we'll see but <laughs> well, the inspiration has to strike i don't okay. have enough alcohol in me yeah. to, to play it well but i might uh, i might blow on it a little bit Firefighters, they're hard to love and they're harder to hold. They'd rather live when they're young than die when they're old. Full skip chain huskies and old faded nomads, and each call begins a new road. If they don't drop out early, and they don't die young, they'll find work in Idaho. <laughs> Mamas, don't let your babies grow up to be firefighters. Don't let them drag hoses and climb up big hills. Let them work desk jobs and eat depression pills. Mamas, don't let your babies grow up to be firefighters. Cause they'll mess up their knees and they'll mess up their backs. Then they'll wind up working for hell. 
long smoky check lines and cool mountain mornings. Gas station burritos and rollies and burnout tonight. And when fire season's done, they'll be back on the run to some ski town or down south for burning. Texas swamps with drip torch in hand, their fun never stops. Mamas, don't let your babies grow up to be firefighters. Don't let them drag hoses and climb up big hills. Let them work dance jobs and eat depression pills. Mamas, don't let your babies grow up to be firefighters. Cause they'll mess up their knees and they'll mess up their backs. Then they'll wind up working for hell attack. Once you burn cartilage, you never. Man, I, I, we could, I, I could play bass and sung harmony. I, oh, darn. <laughs> Not without a lot of rehearsal, though. So. <laughs> Yay, thank you. That is so thank cool. Thanks so for cool. suggesting we do it, Joe. Yeah. Yay. And, uh, and that means my listeners don't have to listen to me read poetry. This <laughs> I'm probably thankful to. Y'all are welcome. <laughs> Okay, so where were we? Uh, um, we were talking about your job, um, and so uh, what? So uh, the idea behind these controlled burns is to um, well, first of all, that it's historically that's what happened, right? Yeah. So the if you think of it before before people were here before indigenous people or anyone was here, um, there was always lightning, uh-huh. right? So lightning did start, lightning still starts fires and it did start a lot of fires um, historically. And we have um, tree ring records um, that we look at to see historical fire. Um, called It's called dendrochronology. It's the study of tree rings. And then there's actually pyrodendochronology where you're studying fire scars in tree rings to show you fire frequency Uh um and then if you want to keep going on it there's also an anthropogenic pyrodendochronology Uh which (laughs) which also tells us a lot about how the natives burned in the south so Uh um we know fires happened historically uh most of the fire history that we know of is actually including the indigenous burning Uh uh-huh um and so way before we decided to have a department that goes out and does controlled burns the natives were doing controlled burns way before yeah if you go far enough back in any human culture we're like a fire adapted species and fire just follows us everywhere 
a it's lot one of the our... things that differentiates us from other species that actually have like complex social structures and stuff, but they never got fire. Like ants and bees and stuff. Uh-huh. Like that's what I'm talking about. Yeah. Or the other great ape species. Yeah, if you think of it, us as like ecosystem engineers, we use fire to clear the woods and for hunting and for food stuff and all that. Um, but the South also would have has evolved with fire lockstep and then humans just kind of expanded on some of that maybe increase the frequency in some areas where it wouldn't have gone but if uh fires in the past were pretty extensive and we have some dendrochronology records of one fire like starting in florida and over the course of months like throughout the summer it's it sweeps and pulses and travels like hundreds of miles because um, back before uh, colonization and whatnot, there was a lot less habitat fragmentation, so fire really got to move freely across the landscape. Um, so it would have been like a mosaic of all of these different fires throughout time. So, and the thing is, though, that it, the fire doesn't kill all the trees, the mature trees. Uh, There's some very fire-resistant trees that that get left, but it clears out a lot of under uh, brush and young trees and and uh, that that kind of stuff, right? Right. So it's it's gonna step in here. Yeah, bit. go ahead. But um, yeah. So that's that's kind of like the key ecological role of fire and why it's so important in the south. So it, it opens up the canopy and it allows light to come down, which is important for many reptile and amphibian species, but also many plant species. So a lot of the non-aquatic endangered species we have in Alabama um, have become endangered because of a lack of fire because that canopy space is no longer open. So every, you know people tend to think of a natural forest in Alabama as being pretty covered up, you know, yeah. like a lot of big old you know oaks and hickories and whatnot uh-huh. um, but that's probably not how it was uh, two or three hundred years ago uh-huh. so you would have had a much more of a like woodland what we call woodland or savanna type habitat so less than um, 20 percent canopy cover from trees and that canopy is what causes a loss of habitat for your amphibians and stuff because it right it, it causes habit, habitat change right yeah uh-huh. so um, we would have had like for amphibians in the case of a lot of amphibians you'd have you would have had these big open grassy ponds that stuff would have bred in salamanders uh-huh. and and various frogs and a lot you know, of you, grass a lot of grass i don't think you, about like the urban lawn grass like right. big native, honking yeah native grass, bunch grasses like, yeah. that are um, you know, that also make whatnot, like a lot growing. of nice seed heads mm-hmm. for, to feed birds. And I'm sorry, I'm yeah. interrupting. <laughs> I right. get excited. I'm sorry. But um, yeah. So so when you don't burn, you have you know woody shrubs grow up in these habitats and shade all that out, and then you just have a was essentially just kind of a, a leaf litter pond, which has a different set of species that are doing really well now because that's pretty much all we have in, mm-hmm. in a lot of the state. Um, so, and the same goes for plants. Now, with a lot of your um, endangered terrestrial species uh, are fire-adapted plants. Ah. Um, yeah, and 
Ah. I'm not a botanist. I don't know my plants too well, but most of the, yeah, most of the endangered plant species in Alabama are fire adapted. Yeah, and and so they can't reproduce because they're not getting fire. Yeah, it's. I think it's 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 generally less that they can't reproduce. It's more that they're getting shaded out. Oh, or and or so shaded they, out. So they're yeah, they're okay. very reliant on having fire come through every year, or every other year, every three years to clear out the clear out the shrubs mm-hmm. and keep keep the you know, yep, trees yeah. and yep so that it bushes stays from more open yeah, yeah from covering uh-huh. them up and that's that's really where um you know alabama is very botanically biodiverse but that's where uh, a large losing. portion of our biodiversity is is in fire maintained kind of just uh open so, uh, let, okay systems. so let, let me ask you this um uh I know what I want to ask you, but then I start thinking about other things. <laughs> oh yeah, this is what I want to ask you. Uh, it, it, so what kind? So what kind of um, uh, animals that humans could live off of? Like I'm talking, like out west, I know it was the bison, right? Mm-hmm. That lived on the on the open prairies and stuff like that. So what what's the natural thing here that, for instance, the Native Americans were living off of and that caused them to keep doing burns because it worked good and it made savannas that things that they could use lived on? What kind of species is that? Well, I mean, you know, we used to have bison and elk here as well. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. Are you kidding me? We had no, bison. way back in the day. I'll be damned. And there's, there's some debate as to whether um, the indigenous people had hunted them out of Alabama oh, pre-colonial uh-huh. times, and uh-huh. then with all the disease that came through, they moved back in. But we definitely used to have bison in Alabama. I had no yeah. idea. All the way down to the Gulf, or yeah, just... I think I think they've had them. I think they've had them recorded even in North Florida. But they've they've <laughs> got they've they've got definite records of them in Georgia. That is because so, you know I you don't know, but I lived in North Dakota for a little mm-hmm. while in my youth. And all, you know, there's like, you learn about in the native, you go to Indian reservations and it's all talking about bison, bison, this, yeah, bison, yeah. that. I never heard anybody talk about bison down here. Yeah, we had bison in the Southeast. I mean, again, you got to remember, it's like hard to imagine now because Because the habitat's just, not yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, the habitat's not right. But back when everything was, you know, real grassy and open, you had a you know great diversity of, of mm-hmm. you know, small grassy and formed so, plant species so, it was probably bison heaven yeah because yeah, that yeah, I because just, we get tons of rain so you're getting you're getting more lush plants than than even you know out west out, on the yeah, prairie so, uh-huh, uh-huh, yeah. uh-huh. Uh, and so, that and that's and sorry that's another thing so like back you know pre pre indigenous people uh-huh. you you had lightning strikes and we you know that those definitely you know did a lot uh-huh. as far as like fire going and keeping stuff open but you also had a ton of megafauna here yeah. that were also acting kind of like fire keeping keeping the um, habitat so what open. do you mean by megafauna so bison ground sloths you know okay horses You're... you know camels all, all those things <laughs> yeah. it's so cool yeah what a concept. So you had these grazers and it kept yeah. this, this savanna habitat open along with fire. And then, you know, when we lost the megafauna, you know, people because came people. in and then fire probably started happening a little bit more often. Uh-huh. Um, because to, to, we like to burn, keep stuff open, like Aiden said, uh-huh. you know, for for safety and also for food. And, yeah. And, 
Um, and 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 it, it is the people that came in that caused the megafauna to on this continent. Right? So that that is actually a pretty contentious debate. Oh, that really? was kind of okay. yeah, that was kind of um, the accepted wisdom um, decades ago, but there's more and more evidence um, supporting the idea that climate change had played a major role. Uh, what kind of climate change? Do you know? So I'm, this it's is, not, this is starting your, to get okay. out of out of my <laughs> yeah. realm of expertise, but there was there was major climatic changes that converted, um, um, I think, large swaths of of North America from kind of colder, grassier um, type climates to to warmer, more you know, few more trees. Oh, and, I see. Okay. Yeah. So, so in, in other words, the direction that we're going now, which is getting warmer, is not the direction if we want to go back to lots of right. big animals well, here. But yeah. anyway, that's. <laughs> but again, don't I'm not. Don't get me started. Yeah, yeah. I'm not an expert on that, but that's um, definitely it's definitely been the what they call the Blitzkrieg hypothesis that uh, humans just came in and killed off all the megafauna. One, the numbers don't really add up with how uh, the, the how vast numbers. Yeah, That's with how only, many people there were compared yeah. to the numbers of megafauna. Um, and yeah, there, there's a lot of arguments that you can go into with that. But um, that 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 is definitely up for debate because we also lost a lot of smaller species too that weren't really hunted. So. Yeah, and it's there wasn't an asteroid strike. It was, right. would have been something. Yeah. <laughs> um. Um. So, so, uh, prescribed fire w- burns. Um. Biodiversity. Get getting you know a different sort of food supply maybe working. Uh, it, it, let me ask you this. So I know that we have a lot of deer. So, um, are they pests, or are they, you know, indigenous, or has is you know is the way that we haven't had burns a problem with your, what the you know are there what kind of ramifications I'm not being very clear um, in our sort of our ecology have we seen because of not allowing burns. Uh, you know, in in ways that um, that you know that maybe humans have more interaction with. Not that I don't. Not that I don't think that that newts and 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 that kind of stuff are important. But I'm just. I know people that hunt deer. I you know I I know that uh, that we don't have wolves. You know, there's things bigger animals that I that that a lot of people have a lot more identify vocation with yeah um do you you have any yeah that's a that's a big question you know it's Uh kind of that depends a lot on your perspective and what kind of value you put on endangered species and whatnot but Uh um you know as far as deer go deer are doing pretty good but you know stuff like turkeys and and you know ducks that like more open open pond habitats you know those kind of things that people hunt they're they're definitely not doing as well as they would have been or should be because everything's all kind of closed up. Uh-huh, okay. I think that is an interesting question because it kind of brings up, like, one of the reasons for the resurgence of fire in the South was uh-huh. uh, was really driven by hunters, like, for quail and some of these grassland species 
that people were really trying, they were seeing them disappear because in of my fire lifetime, suppression. I, I, you know, when I was a kid living on a farm up in North Alabama, we had so many Bob Whites, Bob Whiting all the time, mm-hmm. and I never hear them. Anymore. Yeah, and the yeah, and the decline for you know with Bob Whites is also kind of up for debate as well. But certainly okay. the lack of everything fire, that I think well, I know. You know thanks. Well, that but that's that's the thing. Well, yeah, I mean they've definitely massively declined, but it's like a question of how much of it is certainly fire suppression has played a huge, massive role on the decline of mm-hmm. of uh, Bob White. Um, but also the you know another question you know farms are still largely open right mm-hmm. so you'd think it'd still be decent habitat for bobwhite but with more and more um, you know pesticides being sprayed and and well, larger and, and larger not... farms that aren't don't have you know hedgerows splitting them up you know less less uh, hide and habitat well for and them. and never mind as so, listeners to my and it's also a question of like how much are you know fire ants definitely prey on eggs of all sorts of different species oh really so you know, fire ants may be, may be playing a major oh, role. Yeah. So, yeah. But fire is definitely, no doubt, mm-hmm. played a huge role in the decline of Bob White, Bob White and natural kind of forest situations. Well, so, you know, talking about these native grasses that are like these huge not grasses with seed heads and clumps and all that kind of stuff being habitat for things like Bob Whites and, mm-hmm. and, and all kinds of things. Um, like like big turtles and everything you know um if you have if you have a um if farms don't have that kind of stuff growing on them right but i bet i could ask you this if we could convert some farms to indigenous grasses and that kind of stuff could uh, those could support um some grazing animals right yeah, one would like one cows. Would I'm talking about cows yeah. and and I, I don't know, cows, <laughs> yeah. sheep, that kind of stuff. Yeah, and you know that's that's kind of how you know cattle were grazed in in the open savanna forests. You know, back mm-hmm. in the early days of back in the early days. I, you know, in when I I grew up, uh, I was born in Florida, and I remember from my youth that things caught fire all the time down there. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, we'd have, we hear on the radio, fire, blah, blah, blah. I didn't understand what was going on. I was just afraid. <laughs> I was afraid <laughs> it was going to jump in the car when we drove by. <laughs> that was in my mind. But, um, but we also, when I was a kid, we raised more beef cattle in Florida than they did in Texas. And there was a, a, a farm store, you know, almost... Every few miles, there's a farm store for where you could go get fresh beef and all kinds of stuff and and ice cream. I loved the ice cream that we got at the farm store. Um, so I'm like thinking that we hadn't totally screwed up the Florida habitat at that point. That it could, because I'm certain that there's not that much cattle being raised in Florida anymore. You know. Um, well, you know, Florida. Florida never really stopped burning. You know, much of Florida's just continued burning since, you know, the indigenous people's time. Yeah, but, so maybe the problem down there is, is uh, there's too many people. Which is what I wanted to say, too, about even if the farms were good habitat for whatever, they're all getting eaten up around here, turning, in, turning them into city and getting annexed by Huntsville and... and and bulldozed and 
you know, yeah. turned into mm-hmm. strip malls and, and uh, McMansions. And that's the big problem, right, is, is the um, foolish use of, of land. You know, people having these massive backyards that they don't hardly even spend any time in anyways. Um, yeah. You know, mm-hmm. people should be having, producing gardens in their backyard. Oh, that we could, and front yards. Let's, yeah. you know, let's we go for it. We have less, you know, corporate agricultural monoculture land that doesn't support much biodiversity. I just planted a little hedge, just started, you won't be able to see it, but of uh, <laughs> beauty berries across oh, my cool. front. Right by, by the street where... Um, Anybody will be able to get some beauty berries if they want. Yeah, that's yeah. awesome. Yeah, that's what we do at our house. Yeah, we have a bunch of garden stuff at our house. Yeah. I think the when you get into the conversation of land use, I think that that kind of leads into the really important question to ask, which is why did we stop burning in the first place? Like the cool thing about the South is that in a lot of ways we like never really stopped burning until more recently so that's why we still have a lot of our cool endangered and rare plants is that you know like the native people burned all the time and then whenever Alabama was um colonized a lot of people continued burning for their cattle and for you know obviously Alabama woods get really thick if they don't burn so Uh it's just kind of part of the legacy of native knowledge and uh like traditional econo- ec- ecological knowledge that the settlers kind of incorporated to continue burning up to a point where suddenly it was the american culture that uh-huh. fire is bad and that pivot is really interesting to look at because it is kind of like the point where the land stopped being um like a relationship with the people that were living on it uh-huh. where they were listening to land and kind of interacting and using fire in the traditional ways to fire being excluded from timber plantations right and that kind of like started oh. with wildfires out in california right yeah so that like started out west and obviously like the forest service was the big you know governmental um epicenter of fire protection um and one of the aspects of forest service land is that it's uh, a resource for timber cutting um so the government builds up this huge firefighting Mm -hmm. machine which is kind of like what i referenced where i used to be a part of that uh in order in some some aspects to protect the timber it was like kind of protection of property to mm-hmm. keep fire out and you know we have um like our state forestry agency will come and put out any fire on private lands um if you're not like burning with a burn permit because it's in the interest to keep the woods from burning up because there's that idea that it's going to kill the trees and then also the non-native like um the transition from like our tall grass prairies and native woodlands to loblolly pine plantations yeah that that stuff doesn't really survive well with fire because Uh the fuels just get packed so thick in there Uh um that if it's not a really carefully intentionally set fire um it's just gonna burn all the trees yeah 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 
Yeah, so in a, in a way, the, the fire suppression, uh, suppression regime, regime that was uh, kind of instituted across the country, it started out west with these really bad fires, and then it was kind of forced upon the rest of the nation, you know, through Smokey Bear Smokey the Bear, yep, I remember him yeah. from my youth. And mm-hmm. We used to watch film strips in mm-hmm. elementary school with mm-hmm. Smokey the Bear and all kinds of stuff like that. Oh. And in Florida, you know. Yeah, and it's kind of interesting how, like, all these European forestry, um, like, teachings got placed onto America when they didn't necessarily fit because forestry became um, kind of like popularized and developed in Europe where there aren't like fires the same way there are here. Here. It's not like in um, the place where forestry was developed, fire just didn't really happen that much naturally so it was like when there were fires it was seen as like a bad thing and a wasteful thing and they also labeled you know they were tying fire to like indigenous people and they're burning as like some kind of like savage thing savages yeah they don't it doesn't it's like a wasteful thing that doesn't make sense because it's burning up the the well and 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 also you know the the thing that happened that separated people from their food you know the people who think that food comes from the grocery store instead of the earth, mm-hmm. you know, and it, 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 that's upsetting to me, you know. Right. Um, and that totally circles back to our earlier conversation of like, what if we all had to live off the land right now? You'd be hard pressed to live out of all of these loblolly pine plantations. Oh yeah, forget that. State. I mean, uh, we could cut them down and use them for firewood to cook food on. <laughs> don't tell anybody i said that no <laughs> but i so uh, the uh, uh, don't let me forget that you brought up this thing about an idea coming from europe over here okay but before we go there i want to say something about my understanding of these prairie grasses and how uh, um and and what good carbon sinks they are because they actually have a massive amount of root systems that are very deep and more deep and permanent than trees. Totally. Trees actually have pretty shallow, for most of them, um, have shallow root systems, right? And the thing about trees is they, uh, it, it, they, they really are sort of, my understanding is, you're in forestry, so you can totally correct me, but my understanding is that as far as the carbon cycle is concerned, they're just in balance. They, they, they take up carbon and make themselves at about the same rate that they die and let, um, re, <laughs> emit the carbon that they were holding. That it's just really a very balanced system. So I know a lot of people have this idea that the way to sequester a bunch of carbon is just plant a bunch of trees when really it's prairie grasses that they don't, uh, they, it just stays there, you know? They're really, um, like, when you burn them, they don't go anywhere. They just grow again. Those roots have stayed there. They're not dying, you know, that kind of stuff. And, and massive amounts of, of uh, carbon 
held in prairie grasses and that kind of stuff. Am I on the right thinking there? Do you yeah. guys? Yeah, I, I agree with all of that. Oh, okay. So good. okay, so I think I think that uh, and this has been something that there have been a number of studies that have come out recently for the past few years. Uh, but I think fire plays a critical role in that carbon sequestering. Sequestration. Because when you, from what I understand, when you burn a grassland or a forest, you, know, you create all this, of course you burn up a lot of stuff, but you also create a lot of um, charred, Char. yeah, charred, you know, charcoal. organic material. Mm-hmm. And yeah, you're essentially creating lots of little bits of charcoal. And that actually stays in in the ground and in the system for yeah, that's very, not, very long periods of time. It's not it very bio-available yeah, at yeah, all. It doesn't, yeah, it doesn't break down very quickly. It does a really good job at holding nutrients, yep. which is why, you know, it's burns, fabulous Savannah, stuff to put on your garden. <laughs> are, you know, really, really nutrient-rich if they you know, haven't been farmed out and they've been burn consistently over the years so i think that's that's part of the reason why prairies are carbon sinks is because you have that fire sweeping through your yeah which is a little i mean obviously the part that's burning the 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 volatile part of the plant that's burning is releasing its carbon Mm -hmm. when you burn it but uh, but that leaves behind a skeleton of of carbon right so along with these root systems that don't go anywhere and just start making new plants right away, right. you also have the, the carbon that stays as, and, and takes a very, it's very durable, right? And it is also helping with the, the uh, nutrition of those grasses that just got burned, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Any, well, I mean, who knew that things, you know, the natural world could work things out so well on its own. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, it's almost like they evolved here. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. Um, so I said, don't let me forget that you talked about that bringing ideas from Europe over here, which makes me want to start talking about politics. Oh, yeah. <laughs> So, you know, the uh, when the American Revolution happened and we got all of this uh, constitution and protecting uh, our uh, pursuit of happiness and all that kind of stuff, that's kind of written, uh, of course, by a bunch of old white guys who were slave owners, most of them. Um, and basically, a slave owner, I don't care, is a capitalist, right? So, and so that was like, you know, which the natives were not at all. So that's like the first importation of a big political idea to this continent that I wish had not happened. You know, never mind the fire craziness that whatever, dudes, you know. Um, (laughs) um, So... uh, What can we do politically to get back to something that's more sustainable? Can I just say sustainable instead of this crazy um, growth for growth's sake um, and every politician only being concerned about 
uh, getting more people to move here so that uh, that the tax base is bigger, you know, which can't uh, just can't continue and be a good thing, you know. What do we do? Yeah, that's the that's the million dollar question, yeah. right? Yeah. And that kind of the purpose of your your whole podcast? Oh, maybe. I'm, I'm flattered. <laughs> I'm, I'm flattered that that's. Yeah. But, um, you know, I don't know. We gotta we gotta deal with this capitalism problem. Um, yep. And ultimately, that's gonna take local organizing and and taking back local control of our of our uh, towns and counties and whatnot. Getting it back from corporate hands because Cor- that's always hands, gonna yeah. be you know. Well, They're it, uh, always going to want to develop and build and, you know, break up communities and individualize everybody because then you spend more money. Yep, that's right. So, And you're more miserable. Yeah. But because uh, you're, you're alienated from right. everything, the natural world, from mm-hmm. the meaningful work, from everything, yeah. right? Um, yeah, your only recourse is to... Spend money on alcohol or coffee or, <laughs> or depression pills <laughs> from your songs. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Um. Is that what my podcast is about? I didn't even really. I mean, I guess kind of. Kind of. I. I make fun of these people all the time who mm. act like growth is like, and they keep, you know, building on farmland. I'm like, where are you going to get your food? I mean. <laughs> I you you want to you know uh, what what happened we ha- um, was it this year that uh, the Mississippi flooded really bad or something like that and uh, uh, do you remember I think it was this year wasn't it or was it last year Yeah, I vaguely remember and um, I mostly pay attention to stuff in Alabama. Yeah, so. I, I hear you. <laughs> Me too. See, I can't remember really either. But in city council, it came up. In the form of uh, our mayor asking somebody, I think, from the utility company or something like that, if the flood of the Mississippi was going to have an effect on us. (laughs) And I'm like going, you're the one who's covering up the farmland so that we can't get our food from locally. You know, where the heck do you think our food's coming from? The other side of the Mississippi, you know? Uh, oh, does the Mississippi have an effect on our economy? <laughs> uh, I don't know. Hmm. I mean, yeah, that's the that's the kind of thing that I notice, them saying stupid stuff like that. And constantly talking about growth. Like, um, it, it, it's just... They're so status quo. They just, I don't know why, because it seems evident to me that we have to do things differently than we're doing them. Mm -hmm. And it has been evident to me since the 70s. I I so remember, I was in a car somewhere, um, and I, I think it was actually in Huntsville, when it just dawned on me, I think I was driving on, I uh, I wasn't driving because I didn't drive yet in the 70s, but uh, I was in the car and on Sparkman Drive, and I I don't know what I looked at, but I just said to myself, we can't keep doing things the way we're doing things. And, um, you know. And that's kind of the sad thing is I think most people agree with that statement. People disagree with, you know, how we should do stuff. Mm -hmm. I think most everybody agrees with the idea that this continued just sprawl of Huntsville and other places into 
farmland and natural places is not sustainable and we shouldn't be doing it and we should be building in a more sustainable way but you know oh, yeah it goes yeah. back to the issue of like you know do we live in a democracy anymore people don't actually yeah. have the power to fight we don't, yeah we, we don't, don't get the, uh, we don't get and i mean ultimately it's a capitalist society which is designed to concentrate capital and it's when capital gets concentrated that's where the power is in right. a capitalist society mm-hmm. and 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 so then they just feed themselves, you know, yeah. instead of taking care of anything, basically. They'd, there's no long-term... I don't see any really long-term thinking ever no. going on. I don't get how that happened. <laughs> I really... I don't. I have a hard time understanding. Yeah, I feel like something we've been really noticing lately is just, like, the decrease in diversity of like towns and how like you can drive through any town and it looks exactly the same yeah there's no matter where you go there's no unique like mom and pop shops anymore it's all just oh yeah it's the same chain over and over everywhere you go and 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 that speaks not only the to um to well it speaks to this consolidation of capital you know, uh, there's fewer and fewer companies. And it also speaks to how local governments give all of these subsidies and tax breaks and stuff to these companies coming from God only knows where instead of... I mean, have you ever heard of a mom and pop shop getting a tax break? Ever? No. No, and it's only it's not because they don't deserve it or couldn't use it. It's because... They don't have the power. Right. And it's a reflection of the, our loss of biodiversity in the natural world and the fire suppression. Like, the um, the powers that be are keeping things the way that they are and not letting any kind of, like, revolution for the biodiversity to reestablish itself. And it's making all of us unhealthy in the people world and in the natural world. Yep. Yeah, I, I, <laughs> and again, everybody just keeps doing the same thing. Even the people who, like you say, most people know everything's got to change, but we don't have many choices anymore. Especially if you don't have. Especially if you don't have a decent income, right? But the weird thing is that even people with decent incomes keep going doing the same thing. They they could do things differently, you know, <laughs> support a local farm. I don't, you know, <laughs> anything. Yeah, but we just don't exactly make that easy, even for people with decent incomes, you know. When, when all your options are chain, 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 um, and the small folks have been outcompeted, yep. you know, it's like... Yeah. Where does one go? It's it, well, it certainly requires an effort to find other sources or other pa- places to patronize yeah. and stuff like that, which that is bad. It's like that, that's but that's going to continue mm-hmm. to be a losing battle if we don't solve the political problem, yeah. right? Like yeah. that's ultimately the uh, but we it have clearly to solve. because as long as as long as, you know, people are just like having to fight day to day to support local business and make sustainable choices like there's a limit 
to how much people can do that effectively. Yeah. And that's, that's just for people who care. You yeah. Know? Uh-huh. Um, so, you know, if you don't solve, and then, you know, of course, if, if you did have enough people making those decisions, you'd continue to have the political problem of trying to make those small businesses not exist anymore, right, through mm-hmm. policy. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. So if you don't address the political problem, it's not going to matter how hard people try to make sustainable and I, decisions. And this lack of not only biodiversity but choices it speaks to the fundamentally anti-democratic nature of our institutions. Yeah. No, it's totally anti-democratic. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, um... I don't know, I just don't, I'm just, it's nuts. Yeah, hmm. yeah I mean, like a, a perfect example of that is you have in in the majority of the land owned in Alabama is owned by out-of-county interests, uh-huh. right? So you don't even have the majority of the land in any given county owned by the people who live in that county. And that's a massive, massive Which problem. also speaks to this whole idea of real estate as um, wealth building mm-hmm. instead of the earth where we live, you know? Right. Where you could, like, have a garden, yeah. that kind of stuff. Um, you know, I run into it all, it, 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 it all the time, this idea that there's... Um, people and their my property values you know if I don't mow my yard I'm bringing down the property values (laughs) around here and uh, uh, it's a hundred I see it all the time all the time and by the way also just in my last podcast I talked about how this is weird though because the city recognizes because they have to go and mow when people don't mow their yards right and so the last city council meeting they, 11 of the 13 places that they had to get permission from city council to go mow, they acknowledged were people that don't even live in the county. And so there, it's like, don't you guys get that this status quo that you're always working towards bringing people in and pumping up property values and so on is exactly why you're having this problem with absentee landlords. Right. Get, you know, could you like maybe somewhere mm-hmm. try to match those things up in a more sensible way and do something about it you know this whole idea you, you know and, and this idea of um but property being a wealth building and that kind of stuff is also antithetical to actually housing people right you know it, it drives prices up gentrification all that kind of stuff and so you know we have a growing homelessness problem it's not huge yet. Yeah, it's, that's that's all tied to consolidation of land by the wealthy and corporations. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Which is fundamentally yeah. anti-democratic, and then we go anti-biodiversity. All, yep. <laughs> anti-diversity. Yeah, you know. Anti-diversity. Um, and uh, uh, and and then we pretend like the United States is some bastion of democracy that we can go all over the world to deliver democracy to people. Right. I hate to break it to you. I know nobody in whatever, you know, any, <laughs> anywhere else in the world is listening to my podcast, but <laughs> I, uh, I'm i just like, uh, we got not a leg to stand on. Mm-hmm. It's so hypocritical. So hypocritical. Well, it's not about democracy. 
Uh, No, it's about capitalism. Well, it is interesting to parallel these two lines of thinking because it's like it seems like in the environmentalist community like we've realized that we have a crisis of biodiversity and now we're actively going in and burning areas where we know fire historically would have been where we know fire needs to be in order to try to resurrect some of that what a great metaphor for a reallocation of resources sorry (laughs) go ahead Um, seems like there's something keeping us from doing that in the social aspect that you're talking about. Like, why can't we go in and try to focus on bringing that biodiversity back up? Well, and I don't want to... I'm not a conspiracy theorist, for the most part. Um, I mean, other than there's a capitalist conspiracy, but it's like the well, it's stupidest a, thing it's ever. It's not a you know? conspiracy, it's just logical. Yeah, it's just... Yeah, it's a logical yeah. conclusion of having a system yeah. where, you know, emphasis is built on building more and more money. And uh, growth growth is, yeah. is, it, it is the way that you make it successful. Mm-hmm. You know, there's no steady state, nothing, you know. Right. Um, uh, anyway... But, uh, you know, this, uh, a lot of it to me is sort of the kernel of it is people being completely separated from the earth and what the earth does. Yeah. And so I, I wind up writing a lot of poetry about, I mean, you, you guys are sitting in a chair, right? Mm-hmm. You feel the chair pushing up on your butt? <laughs> now I do. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's how much the earth is hanging on to you. Mm-hmm. That's how closely we are related to the earth. It is in everything, every molecule. of, And we just, like, the capitalists don't want us to think about that. You know? They just want us separate from the earth, separate from each other, uh, separate from meaning. Separate just from miserable so that you have to do something about how miserable you are. Blah, blah, blah. Okay, I'm sorry. I'm really. I gotta calm down. <laughs> Thanks for letting me rant, though. Well, um, Should it, you call your podcast "Raging Against Cap"? Oh my god! Yeah, <laughs> maybe I'll put a little. Yeah, I, and you know the the theme song that I'm using now is a song by a band down in Birmingham, the Lolas, and it's called "Destroy," and it's "Destroy Capitalism." Oh, there we go. Yeah, you know. <laughs> so, thanks to the Lolas. Um, uh, well anyway we've been talking for a while I should probably let you guys go but I want to give you the last word you guys what grow a garden in your yard (laughs) yeah I like that grow a big one give it away to your neighbors oh absolutely that's and and historically that was totally what happened yeah before some of those crazy European <laughs> ideas about yards and stuff, yeah. too, you know? Mm-hmm. Grow a pollinator garden and set it on fire. <laughs> and, and I drive around town, and there's open swaths of stuff where they've gone and mowed. They go and mow. Uh, so th- it's not indigenous, deep-rooted grasses, so there's no carbon sink going on there. And in fact, they're just belching out carbon when they're mowing it all the time. 
why can't we? I think they've started in Huntsville one pollinator garden. Why can't we have them all over the place? All over the place. Quit mowing. Grow some of these great prairie species. Welcome back some more beneficial bugs and stuff. I'm sorry, I want to change mine. Okay. Um, grow a garden if you want, but uh, get involved in politics. Voting doesn't matter. And, um, you know, do actual activism stuff. You should vote, but voting doesn't really fix anything when there's no power in our, in our voting politics. So we have to do that on-the-ground organizing to take that power back. So you got to do... You gotta do protests, you gotta do direct action, which is more important than protests and more important than voting in a democracy. I think that's something that people have forgotten. Amen. A democracy is not voting, a democracy is direct action. Yep. Yep. How about you, Aiden? You got a, any last words of wisdom for my listeners? I think that. Um when you're talking about disconnection from the earth and everything, and I think about fire a lot since that's kind of my whole world. And I don't know how many regular people actually sit with fires very often. I know when, whenever I like talk to, to children about asking them, like sometimes talking to schools about if they've had campfires with their, their parents or their grandparents at some point, like a lot of them haven't sat around a campfire before. And I feel like, that's that's really wild that we're such a fire adapted species and we haven't like we're not sharing that fire with our children and um, I would just love for people to spend more time with fire and I think that that's a great way to actually connect with everyone and connect with the earth is to have a campfire in your backyard and you know enact your right as a as a person to be with fire and be in nature and, and be in be community. With the land, be in community. It's all tied together. I did. Uh, I use. I had a weekly fire in my chimney in my backyard for probably about a year in like 2017. Um, my chimney broke. I've got a new one ordered because <laughs> I'm lately. I've been thinking about exactly that. I need to start that back up. So if you're on t- in town on a Friday night, Ooh. come by. Noted. Yeah. <laughs> I, it's ordered. I should get it this week. So, you know, and I still have my my starter sticks and all kinds of mm-hmm. good stuff. And, in fact, a great big box of old paperwork for kindling that I've been just saving for forever since 2017. Uh, you know, so um, we're good to go. As a matter of fact, I don't like to say this very loudly, but I do. I did plant a couple of trees in the backyard that um, are pretty nice big maples now. That really are um, shading out my garden too much, so they're going to become firewood. But don't tell them that, <laughs> okay? Uh, cut them down. <laughs> <laughs> You're so heartless. Uh, I try to. I, yeah, they they're going to be, but like a lot of environmentalists go into it a tree hugger and then they leave a tree murderer (laughs) (laughs) i've come to understand that that certainly certainly in the south that's the case tell me this though is is red bud an indigenous 
Mm-hmm. Okay, good. And they because... have really tasty flowers. Yeah. Oh, oh, I did you not know that. Flowers? Yeah, oh, I love man. making you, red buds. Yeah, oh, mine gets covered. Because yeah. I, I do harvest the violets out of my yard. I love mm-hmm. violets in my yeah, salad. Just throw love some them. of those red bud flowers I in totally am going to do that. It's now, I'm, don't let it know. Tastes like a snap pea. <laughs> Actually, uh, it... Uh, um, it would be good because I keep getting little red buds volunteering all over my yard. But when I moved into this house, the backyard was like some hellscape, you know. And I, I planted a red bud. And I, I never, because, you know, normally they're like mar- on the margins of the, right? The, that's where they belong. Yeah, yeah. And I never saw one that was very big. Well, mine's not on a margin. It's right in the middle of the yard. Mm-hmm. And it is huge. <laughs> And it makes so many flowers and seeds and saplings all over the place that I get. Yeah. Um, so uh, I, I, eating some flowers would be a really good idea just to try to cut down on the seeds, you know. I did not know you could do that. Mm-hmm. Good. There's a... Oh, <laughs> yes. Foraging. Foraging. In my own backyard. And it's just so much fun to eat flowers. Yeah, it is. But I don't... Hopefully they taste good, but the violets, I just love violets. Oh, yeah, violets are awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the red bud's like a legume, so its flowers are like little pea flowers. Uh-huh. So if you have a look closely at uh-huh. them, uh-huh. They, taste, yeah. they taste like little sugar snap peas. I do, are you serious? Red buds are legumes? Is that what you're telling me? They're nitrogen fixers, yeah. I'll That's be dead. They all the time. I had no idea. I know, at least where I'm from in Missouri, they plant red buds in old strip mine sites to try to clean uh, them up. Try to um, get the soil kind of, because uh-huh. they can live in very harsh environments because of their nitrogen fixing. I'll be danged. I had no idea. Yeah, they can live in some poor soils. Similar well, to one of the other backyard. locust trees as well. Um, yeah. I don't have any of those here. I did at another house I had in Huntsville. Um, but I don't know if those are still there. Uh, I try not to drive by. Because who knows what people will have done to what you did there, you know? Uh, yeah, we planted a bunch of trees in our yard whenever we got a house. We planted a bunch of Chickasaw plums, some figs, uh, mulberry. Now, I, I did, I am um, a big, we talked about blackberries earlier. And I really do love blackberries. Yeah. So, um, I, it, it, those are okay indigenous for around here, uh, blackberries. Yeah. Yeah, generally. So, uh, generally, there's, yeah, there's, there's some I'm, I'm species not sure that. I mean, I'm where sure where the domestic varieties came from. Yeah, I mean, I order them but from Arbor Day Foundation. My thing is like we so don't. I have no yeah, idea. we don't. We don't plant blackberries just because they grow everywhere alongside roads. You can just mm-hmm. pick all you want. And, and you know? this is what happened to me yeah, when I moved to Alabama. Um, we and we got a little farm up near the state line, and that place that. You're not, somebody had built, uh, uh, bulldozed up some shwales mm-hmm. um, all, all along there because in the back end of that property, uh, a creek went right mm-hmm. through there. Um, and it, 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 and it, the shwales were there because it flooded, like nobody's mm-hmm. business. Um, and then, stupidly, my parents got rid of the shwales because mm-hmm. when it flooded, it held all that water and our whole place was underwater. And so they thought, well, we need to just let it drain. So they got rid of the shwales. Those shwales were covered in blackberry bushes. Um, and still, uh, uh, not that I'm going out there to check, but 
on the other side of that creek, um, if you could get across it, you have to find a fallen log or something because there were water moccasins and stuff down there. You know, you didn't really want to mess with it. You could go, if the cows went across, you could go with the cows because definitely <laughs> the water moccasins had scattered. Uh, on the other side, it was covered with blackberries, so that didn't get undone by getting rid of the shwales. But I, that's where I fell in love with blackberries. It was from just going out there and picking them and picking them and picking them, picking them and picking them and picking them and picking them. And the horses knew what I was doing because they would follow me around begging, <laughs> begging me to give them some blackberries. You know. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, uh, uh, yeah, something happened to me that connected me to the land where I don't see that happening with a lot of kids, you know? I have a friend up in Nashville who's doing a gardening thing with a local elementary school, and I'm like, well, that's the right direction, you know? <laughs> yeah. So we can hope. We can hope. Were you going to play another song? I guess so. What song? Old Home Place would be an appropriate one. Old Home Place is a good one. Okay. Are you going to... The company? Yeah, okay, sure. cool. Yay, here we go.
What have they done with the old home place? Why did they tear it down? And why did I leave my plowing field and look for a job in stopping in and uh you know i would love it if um you know this was sort of like a overview to me if you ever are back in town and you want to come and do another episode and tell us more about like what exactly maybe what burn you just were working on or or what species you're working on and uh, that kind of stuff i would love if you you know want to stop by and, and be on the pod again really yeah that'd be awesome i'd love I to would. do that yeah we'd love to come back Yay. And See you at the next campfire. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, and uh, you know how to get in touch with me. So just give me some fair warning. And we will hang out here in the garage and by the microphone for a while. <laughs> thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Uh,